0: Water quality concerns have been an issue for years, and there seems to be no end to the number of different ways natural water sources can become polluted and poisoned, leading to ecological damage and human health risks. Threats to water quality range from salt runoff from winter roads to the well-known but ill-remedied lead crisis in Flint, Michigan. A common theme that is present in almost every case of environmental harm is the disproportional impact it often has on communities that have historically been a minority or marginalized by society. Today we are talking about such a situation close to home, here in northeastern Wisconsin. My name is Michaela Hintz. And I'm Sarah Schweikart. We're both chemistry majors
1: here at Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin, and this spring we developed an interest in the issue of water quality. After hearing countless stories of water pollution across the country, with varying levels of impact, we were curious as to what issues Wisconsin struggled with, what communities were most affected, and what actions are being taken to protect and remediate threatened water. So we started to do a little digging online.
0: Early this year, United Nation leaders came together with Brown, Outagamie, Winnebago, and Fond du Lac Counties in the 20th Annual Watershed Conference in Green Bay to sign a pact that sought to address issues that threaten water quality in the waterways that ultimately empty into the Bay of Green Bay. Each of the articles mentioned the issue of agriculturally sourced phosphorus runoff, but aside from that, it became apparent that there were very few details available about what this pack entailed, what actions or guidelines it set up, and the precise concerns that it hoped to remedy. We also read that the United Res- Reservation holds a large portion of the creeks and rivers that are being affected by this pollution, but it was unclear as to how the tribe was impacted. We reached out to try and find people involved with the issue to get a more comprehensive story about the motivation behind this collaborative event.
1: We found that
0: these counties
1: and tribes were working with two nonprofits the Fox Wolf Watershed Alliance and the Alliance for the Great Lakes. We got in touch with Molly Myers, who is an agriculture and research outreach coordinator at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. Her work is funded in partnership with Alliance for the Great Lakes, and her expertise is focused on agriculture's role in improving water quality. We were interested to hear her perspective on the complexity of the phosphorus pollution issue and who are the stakeholders involved.
2: I've been working with the Alliance for the Great Lakes for several years now, and my role has been primarily in agricultural outreach you know in regards to the phosphorus pollution coming into the the Fox River and the Bay of Green Bay a significant portion is is coming from agricultural runoff so nutrients and soil leaving farm fields and Entering streams and then the Fox River and then into the bay. And so we've been working with farmers for several years now to both share information with them. So what are the best management practices that they can use to keep the soil and nutrients on their fields and out of the water? And then also we've been curious to learn from them. Well, what are what are the barriers? What are the challenges?
0: I'm wondering what uh what's the greatest human impact you're worried about with these runoffs? Yeah,
2: that's a that's a great question and I don't think we really know the the full scope of that. So, we primarily have a surface water issue. So then you're concerned about recreation, recreational contact with the water when There might be some harmful algal blooms. But what scientists are working on right now is to really understand how many of those algal blooms, particularly in the Bay, produce cyanotoxins that are harmful for humans, harmful for our pets, harmful for wildlife. We don't really have a good understanding of that right now.
0: I had a question about something you mentioned in your email. You said that it was a huge and complex issue. Is that because of just the nature of the issue or is that because of like the human aspects and trying to get different groups of people on board with remediation?
2: It's a complex issue because there are many sources of it, many sources of phosphorus and sediment impairing our waters and many stakeholders that need to all come together and work together to solve this problem.
0: In your experience, have farmers been largely receptive to these like new techniques that have been introduced for remediation issues or is there kind of a mixed reaction to the steps that can be taken to fix these issues?
2: There's been some mixed reactions. We definitely have our early adopters so we've had farmers who've been trying these practices like cover crops and no-till and nutrient management. We've had, you know, there's some farmers who've been doing these for maybe a decade, maybe past five years, and we see farmers who are all in. So we're seeing that, but we're also seeing farmers who are skeptical and maybe they don't have the right equipment or the right support to make it work on their farm. So it it really requires kind of a whole systems change on how they manage their fields. And, you know, I've seen it where farmers like, i I want to do the right thing. I don't want to be losing my soil and my nutrients and having them end up in the bay where I I need them on my field. You know, they want to do the right thing, but the economics don't work for them. So
1: it's challenging. I kind of have a question about, so you, I think you said you've been doing this for four or so years. Yeah. Um, since you've been working, have you felt like there's been a large improvement in the runoff? Or do you feel like there's still a long ways to go to to achieve these goals that have been set?
2: I think we still have a ways to go. You know, monitoring improvements in water quality is a little bit tricky. I think we're going to see changes on the landscape before we see changes in the water. We do see momentum, but there is there is a lot more work to be done yet.
0: How does this information get out to farmers? Like, what does the communication look like between projects like yours and the techniques that you are promoting, and the people who need to be implementing them look like? Starting in
2: 2016, we held the first farmer roundtable in Kimberley. We are inviting farmers in to hear from local farmers to hear from local agronomists, conservation professionals about the things they're trying on the landscape, you know, what's working, what's not working. Hopefully farmers can learn from other people's mistakes. And then the other thing, one of our one of our main partners is the Fox Demonstration Farm Network. So right around the same time that we started hosting the Farmer Roundtable was when the first demonstration farms came online. And the demo farms were really meant to showcase these innovative conservation practices. Demonstration farms could try them, and then they are a resource for other farms.
1: So we've read about how there's a fairly large Oneida reservation in Green Bay, and that they actually lease out land to non-tribal growers, and they're also working with farmers. And I was just wondering if if you work at all with the Oneida tribe or... If you've had any interactions with them. Yeah, the Oneida Tribe has been a key
2: partner in a lot of these water quality issues, you know, dating back 10, 20 years. So we see them at the table all the time. The Alliance facilitated a group that we call the Basin Leadership Council. One of the most recent successes from that was the Northeast Wisconsin Water Quality Pact. So the county executives from Brown County, Outagamie County, Winnebago, and Fond du Lac County, and then along with vice chairman from the Oneida Tribe, all signed this pact saying that they pledge to prioritize clean water. They are agreeing to participate in annual meetings and then they are going to support the development of a basin management plan that includes things like water quality goals, target dates, performance metrics, management strategies, and a regional governance program. It's largely a symbolic gesture of where they're headed next.
1: Thank you for describing it because we couldn't find a lot of specific details of what it was.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's gotten a lot of attention and other counties have contacted us and want to sign on as well. You know, at the end of the day, too, you know, from my perspective is with agriculture, we're looking for win-win. I think we'll get there.
1: Next, we wanted to find out more information on how the Oneida tribe has specifically been impacted by this issue. We spoke with Jim Snitkin, who is the Water Resources Supervisor for the Oneida Nation. We were curious to hear from him about how the Oneida tribe has been affected by the phosphorus issue and how they have been involved in cleaning up the river.
3: As far as what we do here, we do regulatory activities. I'm a federally credentialed stormwater inspector and we use direct relationship with EPA to implement the Clean Water Act. And we've got a person that works for me that does the wetland aspects and I do kind of general. Clean Water Act stuff in addition to the stormwater. But our the coolest thing that we have going on is all the restoration work that we've been able to do starting in 2003 with the first stream restoration project that we did. And since then we've done a lot of wetland projects and stream projects and prairie restoration and all kinds of stuff like that. And then we do outreach And we do our our routine monitoring. So we're expected by EPA to continue. We do regular water quality monitoring and produce reports on that, on the trends and things like that. We upload our data to the National Water Quality Database. And uh, so, yeah, so let's see outreach, monitoring, restoration, and regulatory. Those are the four main things that myself and my team. I've got two folks that work for me a water resources specialist and a wetland project manager.
1: We've read about the phosphorus issue affecting creeks and the Bay of Green Bay. How has the tribe been involved with this issue?
3: All along and before I came here, the nation has been working on the nutrient issue as far as better farming practices, buffers. Buffers have been huge since I've been here, and grass waterways. And those kind of things so the real the real water quality work has been you know some to some extent associated with our restoration but mostly in conjunction with it with our non-point program doing you know water and sediment control basins you know the new innovative farming practices we also require all of the farms that lease land from the tribe to have nutrient management plans and follow conservation practices All that led to us seeing the water quality improve enough to start these large-scale, actual morphological restorations of streams and wetlands.
0: You mentioned a lot of these methods that are being used to restore and treat this farm nutrient pollution. It sounds like you have a lot of resources in place. Is it true that the tribe is getting the support it needs to address these issues?
3: Yes, we have... Lots of opportunities and huge numbers of partners now. It's, it's kind of a really cool thing in the area, all the folks that are working together. There still are, you know farms that do not, that are not interested in, in these, these practices and things like that, so there's still problems, and there's still too many cows in the area, so there's the issue of getting taking care of the excess manure is still an issue, and our capacity which everybody's dealing with, the DNR, the feds, we have plenty of funds, but not always enough people to do the work. And, you know, we were doing more and more with fewer people, but that's a universal kind of situation.
1: I just have a clarifying question. I think you said that the tribe was working on this before you got there. Do you have any idea how long the pollution of the creeks has occurred?
3: Well, it's gone back and forth. you know I've talked to elders and they remember when it was all pasture land, so there was no trees around here, but with the pasture land, the streams were still in better shape with with the with the row crops taking over uh, corn and soybean that was a big drop in, you know in in water quality with all that runoff and the the sediment itself smothering substrates and things like that and affecting the food chains in aquatic systems has been a big deal but like i said it uh, once you know people start working on the stuff it's amazing how things respond but yeah in talking to elders there's been different phases in in um, modern man's history here where things were better and then you know worse at different phases right now it's it's heading in a good direction
1: I'm curious if this pollution has affected the livelihoods of these tribes at all through fishing or any other recreational activities.
3: Historically they have, you know, since I've been here I've seen a lot of people they they don't consider fishing here and things like that and going up north and that kind of thing, but now that we've created more opportunities here and the systems are in better shape, we've got a lot of tribal members fishing here again and out and getting back to the land we have all kinds of established natural areas and for example our oneida lake if people are really excited about the walleye and the panfish and trophy sized bass out of our few lakes and we we plan on probably creating another lake in the near future so we've kind of turned things around that way so yeah I've seen it just since I've been here, a switch. But but for a long time, the perception and the reality was is that the water quality wasn't that great here.
0: It sounds like you've made huge improvements in this area. Are there any specific goals that you are looking to see met in the future?
3: Well, as the nation continues to buy back its land, that's an opportunity to continue implementing the practices that we automatically do on land and the work of all our partners and the non-tribal landowners and farmers that that are on the same page it's it's pretty promising but it it's always you know there's always some folks that that don't you know go in that direction and don't feel that way so i guess the opportunities are getting more folks on board non-tribal landowners the the partnership opportunities are always there and we continue to be shocked when all of a sudden this farmer that used to be a problem, you know, non-tribal farmer all of a sudden wants to do these innovative practices on his land. So and that's happening right now and it's really exciting.
1: So I think it's it's really interesting that we were able to get two perspectives on this issue. One kind of from more outside the tribe who's more working with farmers and then someone who's actually involved working with the tribe. It was interesting to see how they have been working with farmers and working to solve this issue, but also the impacts that they've seen happen and the kind of perspectives that they have.
0: Yeah, and when we asked Molly about what how she thought this situation was progressing, she seemed to be a little hesitant to say that, you know, we're in a good spot now. She made a point of saying that there was a lot more work that needed to be done, which kind of contrasted with what Jim said, and he was very optimistic and pointed out that there's been huge improvements in the phosphorus issue within the Oneida tribe's land.
1: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, too, and... I think maybe a few reasons for that could be that she, I think she's been working on this issue for a lot less time. And it sounds like the issue varies a lot from year to year, depending on the weather and the just the, the circumstances that year. So it's possible that because Jim's been working on the issue longer, he's just seen an overall improvement that she has not been able to
0: see yet. So one of the very positive aspects of these two interviews that we found were how much of a partnership there was with the Oneida tribe, and that seemed to kind of be a lot more positive representation than what we've heard and seen in other situations around the country where Native communities are involved in ecological situations and remediation where maybe they aren't brought to the table as much or even intentionally ignored in these issues. So it was great to see in this story that there's a lot of partnership and a lot of respect for that community in trying to fix this phosphorus issue.
1: Yeah, I agree. And to me, it almost seemed like the Oneida tribe was leading the ways that they were attacking this issue and that other groups are now getting on board with them, which was really cool. And I'm curious as to why this particular case is different from what from many other cases we've seen and why it is that the Oneida tribe has been able to make such a difference and have such a, uh, a loud voice in this issue. One thing I was thinking is, is maybe it's just because the Oneida tribe in the past has known about this issue for so long and now that they've gotten a lot of leaders such as Jim In their community they can really work well and work to have a voice in this issue in a way that I think in a lot of other communities maybe they don't have as strong leading voices who are able to speak out and do something about their the situations that they're in.
0: Yeah and another thought that I had about this uh, situation was that in other situations with native communities, we've seen where there's issues of like mining or other issues, oil, pipelines, that outside communities or outside corporations are looking to make a profit by coming into native land. And in this situation, the outside communities around here have a lot of their identity in, you know, their water resources. So they actually have, they benefit from trying to remediate this issue. So. A lot of their tourism, a lot of their like cultural identity in the tribe and outside the tribe is in the water resources and recreational water activity. so maybe that's another factor to why this was such a successful partnership. Yeah, I agree, And and overall this
1: is definitely very exciting because it seems like it's a very successful story that we were able to find about this phosphorus issue that's affecting the streams and the Bay of Green Bay.